votes. Kevin McCarthy said, I didn't want to run and force members to have tough votes. What he means is he doesn't want somebody to support him and get walloped for it by the grassroots because the grassroots thought McCarthy was too. Were there any other reasons for this decision? Well, there are rumors about other. And when something happens this abruptly after yeah. planning, as I said, I was talking to one of the people who's whipping votes for McCarthy last night, who I talked to today. And he said, we went in there planning for a four hour meeting this conference where they were going to vote on who the speaker was among the Republicans. We were planning for a four-hour meeting. After 15 minutes, it was over. He said, well, I guess we got a free lunch, but that was it. Mm -hmm. um, so anything that happens at a shock like that, people are sort of always looking around yeah. for what else is going on. But the fact that McCarthy's staying on as majority leader, not resigning his seat, that suggests maybe it is what it is. The question that interests me is the Republican Party. Yeah. I mean, are they shooting themselves are they redefining themselves so that they're out of the mainstream? John Boehner said, and you and I have talked about this on the morning show, basically said the thing that he said to you on Face the Nation. You know, the, they knew they couldn't win, and yet they continued to press the case, knowing it was impossible and therefore causing problems for everybody. Chaos. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, Boehner said they were false prophets in the party yeah. who... And this is an incredible charge because it's a charge of deep cynicism, which is to say that these 30 to 40 con super conservative members know that you can't uh, just kind of take over the whole legislative system when you're when you've got the filibusters in the Senate and a Democratic president. You can't just ram, you know, just shove conservative legislation through. And they know that. But they whip up the grassroots and the grassroots gets angry. And then the grassroots goes and punishes these members for unrealistic because they have unrealistic expectations. And these ultra conservatives are fanning those unrealistic expectations. But be that as it may, that's where we are. I mean, that's where the state of play is. And let me turn to the presidential race. Where stands it now? Well, on the Republican side. On the Republican side, you still have Donald Trump at the top. Yeah. Uh, Is there any sense that he's a, a beginning to lose some elevation? I think he's pretty much still there. What, what, what you do see in the polls, he's had a little bit of a dip. Right. Ben Carson, who's number two, has had also a little bit of a dip. Carly Fiorina has gone up and Marco Rubio has gone up. Marco Rubio is the really interesting case because he... A lot of the non-Donald Trump candidates, and Ben Carson's the other one in this category... Mm -hmm. Slow and steady wins the race, they've said, which is we'll raise money. We won't do anything flamboyant or flashy. We'll just kind of keep on our message and we'll continue to grow over time. The only people who've really been able to do that are Ben Carson and Marco Rubio. The rest of them have, I mean, Scott Walker fell away and out of the race. Mm -hmm. Same with Perry, of course. Jeb Bush has seen himself go down. So Does he say he'll go the distance because he has access to money? Jeb Bush, yeah, yeah he does. I mean, he has to say that, of course. Mm -hmm. But he is in a tricky place now, which is to say that he's got to do things to excite both the voters, we've seen him falling in the polls, but also his the people who are funding his campaign. And when you have to speak to those two different audiences, sometimes it can make you do, it make you act and, out. And the other part of that is is Florida and Marco Rubio, people who might be supporting him because he had a higher call on their loyalty, might be prepared to say, it's not going to be Jeb this year. We're going to shift our allegiance to Marco. To Marco, exactly. And and because also, uh, not only has Jeb Bush not performed in the way they would have liked, but also there's always been the legacy problem. So if Hillary Clinton is likely to be the Democratic nominee, if Jeb Bush is the Republican nominee, it, they, are, they can't make the charge that we don't want the same old Clinton or Bush. Does that argument work for Marco Rubio? I'm a fresh face. I'm young. You know, I'm of the 21st century, not the 20th century. Right. I think... 
it works a little bit. And when you see it in practice, it's of a different order than what you see with other candidates. So you it, it conveys at a kind of um, gut level. Uh, he articulates as he talks about the next generation. But even if you're not sort of listening to the specifics of the words, he is a different kind of candidate. But the downside is that that also exacerbates potentially one of his great weaknesses, which is that he is a one-term senator with no executive experience, which is the charge that Republicans have been making for seven years against Barack Obama. So it's, it is inconsistent <laughs> to yeah. have a person yeah. who has no executive experience and has only been a one-term senator to go give them the whole shooting match. The presidency is not on the job, you know, is not a place where you get on-the-job training. And so that is the big and question. And made the argument against... Obama now they might be doing the very same thing themselves. Precisely. And and also elevating Rubio in part because he's got this kind of very attractive candidacy in the way that Obama's was attractive, which is to say they're not latching onto Rubio because they've read the 18th page of his white paper on taxes. They just like the fact that he conveys this sense of the future and movement and energy in the party. Yeah. Is it likely this will somehow at the end narrow down to two people? One will represent